Welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today should be a fun story. Uh, we're joined by Finbar O'Halloran. Finn, as I generally call him, most people call him. Um, he's got an interesting story from musician to tech to listing a company on the Australian Stock Exchange called Linus. Um, wanted to share that story, but then all the insights and thinking around innovation and health. Finn thinks a bit, uh, which is quite different to others. I've been exposed to Finn from a um, a group called Common Sense Events, um, run by Matt Murray um, and Ronan. Um, his surname eludes me, but yeah, he's um, a, a really enjoyed just your different level of thinking perspectives. So I wanted to get you on the podcast to, to share your story from musician slash non-tech, working at Apple and all different bits in, in between and how you listed on the stock exchange. But Finn. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks, guys. It's um, it's great being here. So, so for the audience, um, share a little about you and maybe where it all started for for yourself. Um, I've always been uh, probably like a lot of kids, uh, never fit in at school. Always been deemed a rebel. I went to a very Christian school. I used to get smacked on the hand for writing left-handed. I used to ask questions, and they thought I was insolent. So I used to get expelled. Um, and it could have pushed me one or two ways. One way it could have just made me very submissive and the other way it could have made me just go harder and it made me go harder and made me start to, I've always been super curious, probably like a lot of kids I meet and mentor and you know, the, it, the world didn't really fit me. It didn't, it didn't make sense. I, I, it was sort of like, I didn't understand why you had to do all this stuff. And when I asked people that were older than me, they used to tell me things and even then it didn't make sense. And so, uh, for a long time, I sort of, I, I, about the age of 10, I got into music and all I did was play play music, play guitar. I was studying jazz with one of Australia's foremost jazz guitarists uh, at 11. Um, you know, I got really good on guitar. I got sponsored by lots of guitar companies. I was signed to Mushroom Records in 1985. We had a single on the top 10 called Sex and Fame. That won uh, Best produ Production Album of the Year on the ARIA chart. So we were touring and all that. I was 17. Um, you know, and all these amazing things happened in my life. You know, I met David Bowie's producer and I was doing stuff with him and then flew to LA and my whole life was music. It was music, 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 music everywhere. And I got to travel the world playing music. Um, and I got really, after a while, you know, I came back to Australia. I started teaching at the conservatory in the Australian Institute of Music mm -hmm. and I was teaching all this theory and stuff. And I just started losing my passion because uh, I just start, I always loved learning. And anyway, I, it was in the early days when computers were just starting to get involved in digital audio. Like I'm talking really early days. I'm quite old now, but we're talking early 90s. And um, all MIDI controllers, uh, you, things like that. Well, MIDI, but um, was MIDI, but also went digital audio, like the Fairlight Sampler and computers okay. were starting to record these waveforms on a computer. It was really fascinating to me. So I got heavily involved into that um, and, you know, I, came, I was in Australia and I, uh, sorry, in Sydney and I, I got approached to come to Melbourne to build a massive music store called Revolver. So I came to Melbourne and we built this big store on Chapel Street and we ended up putting a club in there and rehearsal rooms. And, you know, Revolver, we, yeah, yeah, know that name. <laughs> yes. We birthed and two yeah. other partners. Yeah, um, and, you know, so we, we, we had these big visions. It was always about doing big things. And then from mm -hmm. there on, it just kept, kept going. And to, to a certain point where mm -hmm. I got recruited by Apple, I was their master, what's called their Masters of Media Specialist in Australia for digital audio, really technical stuff at the time, like digital clock sync between tape and digital recorders. And it was, 
X, Y, and Z. What, what so part of that fascinated you? Obviously, from musician, you love. You said loved learning. What part of the tech fascinated you? Um, the unknown. Mm. Okay. I just love the unknown and not knowing because for me, it's really fascinating because part of my journey has been learn all the theory as a musician, teach all this complex theory, and then I I found. And I'll jump to, to a little bit later story. Um, I'm in LA um, five, six years ago. I'm recording with a good friend of mine who's was a guitarist in The Cure. And, you know, he doesn't know any theory at all, any mm. musical theory at all. I'm working with a guy called George Lynch who was in a band called Lynch Mob, really great uh, guitarist. So I'm doing all this stuff with these amazing musicians and they didn't know theory. And I learned all this theory. And then I look back at my tech life and I realise that my biggest successes have come from not knowing the rules. <laughs> um, um, because the rules were the things that actually blocked me in from being innovative. They, they, because I found it very, very hard to, once I knew the rules, to actually throw them away. Because I believe that's the next step beyond being really good at something, is is to be to let go of the fear and now throw that away and start breaking the rules. But um, be, because I was so into my music and so into my tech, I was I, at that point I was defending this massive viewpoint. So I was always intrigued about the unknown, but I became such a technocrat that I had to learn everything about everything, probably like a lot of people on this uh, that are listening to this podcast. So, you know, I was on this constant journey and then I, I did all these things, worked for Apple, worked for Avid, worked for all these big companies. And then around 1999, I was like, you know what? Um, why don't I just start building my own interactive media. I started learning this thing called Cinema 4D and Flash back in the day, and I started learning Flash scripting and and a thing called Director, Macromind Director, which was an interactive media thing. And some of my heroes, Thomas Dolby, and they were doing all this stuff. Interactive media was in its early, early phases. So I got involved in that. And then I got to this point where I was sitting down with a friend who worked at a company called Nortel Networks in Australia, big company, big telco. And he said to me, I still remember the meeting, um, he said to me, Finn, uh, we've got this box called a BCM and it's a telco box. And I went, right. And he goes, and we can't sell it. And I went, what? And I said, How, why? And he goes, well, Cisco's kicking our butt. And he told me this big story. And I said, oh, well, what, what are you trying to do with it? And he said, well, it's a voice over IP box. And so I said to him, okay, well, what else can it do? And he said, nothing. That's what it does. And I said, yeah. Well, it looks like a computer. He showed it to me. I said, it looks like a computer. It's a white box with all these cards on the back. And he goes, yeah, no, but it's a, it's a $20,000 telco box. I said, oh, okay. And who are you trying to sell it to? And he said, the banks. And I said, well, how much money do the banks spend on TV commercials? And he was like, what are you talking about? And I said, and then they spend this money on selling them, putting them on air. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, what would it be like if you walked into a branch and the TV commercials were playing in the branch where you could influence the person right there in case they were going to the teller? And he goes, what are you talking about? You're like just a bit random conversation, but I yeah. Said, what if I could turn that box into a video distribution system that worked through all the banks, and you deployed all your all your video onto this uh, onto this server, and overnight it pushed it via rsync via FTP into these into the hardware boxes, and then played through the day, and it would switch between live TV. And he goes, this is about 1999. He goes, what are you talking about, Finn? <laughs> yeah, this is a telco box, and I said, well, yeah. give me one, and I'll see if I can build it. Yeah, okay. And, and so anyway, long story short, I got a box. I played around with this director software, learned a little bit of C++, built these extras and got this thing working. Went to a company in America called Alcorn McBride who built one rack mount DVM2. They were an MPEG-2 playback device. 
We put it in 3D networks with a big managed service provider for, for NAB, and we put it in the NAB branch of the future, and we deployed it. So I started learning that, you know what? Mm. These crazy ideas. I, I was learning. I wasn't even using a proper coding and IDE. It was no SDK. I would imagine you just doing it. Yeah, I was using away. multimedia yeah. software called MacroMind Director to mm. build an enterprise-grade video switching system to all the banks, right? And it worked. And so I went to this Amazing. trade show. So they, uh, Nortel flew me to this trade show in America. And anyway, I sold, ended up selling the software to Nortel. And so mm. I was like, oh, my God, mm. I could maybe build software. And they were like, mm. and I was thinking, but in my mind, I'm like, but I'm not a software developer. I've got nothing to do about it. I just know mm. this little crazy. Anyway, long story short, after that, I got involved in trying to learn. I became an, an Apple QuickTime programmer, which is yep. defunct. But I, I became a QuickTime program. I started learning these little things and I started building software. And that whole journey has taken me from traveling the world, building companies, doing lots of things, you know, uh, to working with Flow, uh, re helping reverse list a company on the AIM in London and now my company here on the ASX. And uh, yeah, so it's been a, an amazing journey of sort of not knowing what I'm doing. But, <laughs> out, but, of, out of the box thinking, by the sound of it, quite a bit of it. with the yeah. experimentation. Mm. Well, it's, it's fascinating because I had an office yeah. in uh, Singapore, one in mm. India, one in Australia, one in San Jose at one stage. Um, and I was always fighting with my, my team. And they were all big Scala developers, you know, worked from LinkedIn, mm. all the big companies, they were in San Jose. And they all kept telling me that what I was doing couldn't be done. And I'm like, but I've already done it. And mm. here it's running. And I'm like, yeah, but you can't, you can't do it that way. And I'm like, well, I don't care how. As long as it works, right? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, I, mm. I'm sort of jumping around mm. a lot. But th that's, yeah. I've always been interested in, in things. And I've learned from my journey of life that I've got to be careful of not going too deep into learning something mm -hmm. um, or recognizing when I've got to a level of proficiency where I've got to now throw it away. I did a, I've done a talk, it's on, you can find it on YouTube at Forzfest called Being an Expert at Not Being an Expert. And the whole point of that talk is not about not being an expert, it's about teaching tools to experts to go beyond being an expert. Um, because an expert by definition is someone who's measured against the rules. That's how you yeah, measure an yeah. expert, right? Mm -hmm. But innovation has got nothing to do with rules. It's, it's the complete opposite, isn't it? It's about it's about discovery and looking at yeah. finding the connections between the dots, the, the associations, and putting them together. So anyway, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question, but oh, there's a bit. It's unpacked there actually. Um, wrote a couple of notes along the way. That whole not knowing the rules and how that added value. Those stories have been told time and time again. What does it do to someone if they've been in an industry or in tech, like that example where they've been doing something in a particular way, and then the world of AI gets thrown at them? Is that outside their realm of thinking or was becomes a challenge for them and the ones that jump in, what does it look like? So well, just unpacking that a little bit. What okay, that so there's, always, there's always early adopters. There's yeah. always people who jump in after mm -hmm. the early adopters and there's people who are late, late bloomers, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I believe personally mm -hmm. that from my experience that it, the people that don't adopt early are mm -hmm. people that are in fear or just mm -hmm. tired. Yeah, they're just running it out. Too much new stuff. Yeah, and they're like, I don't, and they're just so I, I can't learn anything else. It's just too hard. I've spent mm. so long learning what I know, and so now I have to defend that. But the mm. problem is, the, you, the world isn't stopping. So no. you stop, but the world doesn't mm. stop. And as the mm. world evolves, the gap between the value that you provide to that world and the way the world is evolving is getting wider and wider. 
Mm-hmm. And so it's it's often um, for me, it's about how do you do fun experiments mm-hmm. that that like uh, you know I think we talked about it at the at the the session, Andrew. You know, I work with organisations where I smash a toy company and a mining company together. I, I, I the random experiments. Force yeah. associations whereby mm-hmm. it's not about being serious; it's about looking at trying to learn how to think outside the box, how to connect mm-hmm. dots in new and interesting ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, with things like AI, I think people are trying to bring it up to their level of expertise by thinking, "I've got to know so much about AI." Because, but it's like, no, just don't worry about it. Just experiment, play. Mm-hmm. Figure out, see where the connections are, find out where value is. And I know you guys are doing that. That's exactly mm. what you're doing. And that's exactly the right thing because you're never going to win on everything. But No, but you're going to learn a lot along the journey. You might be focusing in the wrong area or who knows, but you're, you're picking up a lot of There's a study I saw in a documentary once that was similar along the lines of that. There's experts in some certain PhD field where they would get a second PhD in a completely unrelated field so then they can make those connections and have that other frame of mind to approach a problem and smash things together. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's a well-known uh, tool. One of the, one of the big things that a lot of the, a lot of people that I've worked with, cause I work with a lot of these sort of people is that um, they learn the power of association, but they, a lot of them don't learn the power of questioning. And so, you know, innovation doesn't come from knowing the answers. It knows it comes from knowing what, how to question properly, how to find the problems behind the problem. And so you know what I mean? Like you, you learn something and you learn something else and you smash it together and you look for the pet connections and the patterns. But a lot of that comes from how do you elicit, how do you elicit questions that go beyond the obvious? How do you get to people's needs, motivations, uh, the psychological sort of uh, components of, of why people make decisions and why they use things and the jobs to be done and all the things that we talked about, Andrew, in, in our session, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's the way I look at it is that um, I'm a big believer and I'm promoting this thing called the human OS uh, upgrade. So I believe that our mind, we've been programmed and educated for a world that no longer exists. I agree. And I think and our kids are still being programmed for a world that's not going to exist. Yeah. And that's so that's I, yeah, I the that, reality of what we're in right now. Yeah. So I think yeah. that there's, we need to learn new skills. We need to learn how to have an adaptive mindset. We need to learn the mm-hmm. systems of creativity, not just playing guitar. We need to know what are the, me- the methods and the mechanisms. We need to know how, how to be innovative, critical. It's a bit, a bit contradictory system and creativity, but it makes a lot of sense when you, you look at the you unpack it. Yeah, understanding it, how to be in the right frame of mind mm, to explore yeah. it. Really. And what are the processes? You know, people, people know that doing your tax, you've got to have a process. Mm. They know about building, if you want to build even waterfall or an agile methodology, there's a method, there's a process. It definitely is. There yeah. is a process in creativity. Mm. There's a process in innovation. Just not many people know about it, so they go around and they sit on beanbags and they coming up with ideas and they wonder why they're not turning into anything. You know, let's uh, let's unpack that a little bit because to deliver some value to listeners around ideas and creativity, if people are a little bit stuck in that world or their box, so what are the challenges of like like people we work with generally? They're they're domain experts in a field, yeah. um, and they're looking to do something a little bit different or unique or just digitize what they're doing. Now, digitizing what they're doing can add some value, but if they can take other thinking and mash it together, as you might say, um, how do we get them to think a little bit more out of the box and so they can actually really carve out a disruptive solution rather than something that's an incremental improvement, but it really depends on what they're trying to achieve. But how do you get that out of someone's stuff? Well, that's a really great, really great question. Um, the mo- first and most obvious thing I do, especially when working with startups or small to medium enterprise, mm. is uh, um, I say to them, right, 
what you've got to do now is you've got to tell me not what you do. You're not allowed to mention anywhere about what you do. You've just got to mention the value you create mm -hmm. and what customer segment you create that value for. Got it. That's okay. what you have to do. Start there. And well, it's no, like, no one cares what you do. They don't care what they get from it. Yeah, so yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the so hell doesn't matter. It's just, and what that is, is that's a second mm -hmm. lens. Mm -hmm. That's a customer lens, right? Yes. So you've got your lens and that's great. That's fantastic. Yep. And that's great for you. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's customer A lens? Mm. And then I go, now list all the stakeholders in your business from your accountant to uh, the people who buy your software to the people who, who the, the regulator that you have to do, whatever, list them all. Mm. Now, tell me the value you create through every one of those lens. Now, what that does as a first part of call is it's a really quite a hard exercise for a lot of people because they've it never- It sounds difficult, yeah. Across even like an accountant, <laughs> it does sound difficult. It's, well, you know, it, it does, but when you can find a win for every stakeholder mm. in a particular scenario that you provide, you've mm -hmm. got a far greater chance of success in your business. Agree. Right? Yeah. And a, as an exercise, it's and you talk about out of the box, you, out of the box doesn't have to be, you know, we're going to grow pink fairy wings and jump out of airplanes because yeah. we build enterprise software. Mm. It's it's not about being ridiculous. Um, mm. It can be as an exercise to, to 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 push boundaries. But the first place I always start is just with something really really simple. Mm. Yeah. Tell me what you do, mm -hmm. right? But don't tell me what you do. Hey, don't tell, tell me, me what you do in terms of value. Mm. You know, and it's and it's like people go, oh. Well, it's, it's really obvious. I go, go. And they go, oh, um, we'll value for who? And I go, well, who's the first person you think of? Who's the second person? Because you, you typically, even in your personal life, you know, with your kids, with your relationship with your wife, with your friends, each one of them has a lens. And, yes. you know, it's, it's just, it's a practice. It's a neuroplasticity exercise. Hmm. Obviously, there's other things you can do when you start to, um, I do some real fun exercises when I'm sitting down in my, driving my car, especially on long trips, I'll I'll give myself 10 second gap and I'll notice one thing in the car and another thing. And then I'll go, right, how do I smash them together into a product that's never existed? Right? And it's just training that, your brain. A fun car game. Yeah. Right? It is training. So yeah. people, like, if I said to someone listening to this podcast, I said, right, mm. I'm going to give you a tip. Pick up two dumbbells, hold them at your chest and go up and down above your head 10 times. Mm -hmm. Most people go... Yep. Yeah, that's so what? <laughs> Obvious. And they go, yeah, because what the thing that you're not taking on board is not what I've told you, it's the practice of it that builds the muscle. Mm -hmm. And the practice of doing this stupid exercise builds mm -hmm. neuroplasticity. It allows you to see connections in things that you never saw before because you're practicing doing it. Mm. And it's the practice of doing it. You don't even have to tell anyone. It's the, how might that go with that? How might this go with this? If you look back, Here's a great exercise for anyone listening to this podcast. Think of any product that you love that's transformed your life. Anything, Apple Watch, Dyson Vacuum, anything at all. But then go back and fo follow the story about where it came from. When was it imagination when it never existed? Like a Dyson was mixing a cyclone, cyclonics, mm -hmm. like, and, and the, the vortexes with a vacuum cleaner, right? At, at and that's the smashing together, isn't it? But mm. you'll realize when you go and do yeah. some research on the products that really transformed your life in any way, shape or form, there was a point when two things smashed together to come up with that product. Sometimes three things. The iPod was originally a cigarette lighter 
um, a, a, a dash wheel and an LCD display to try and put 2,000 songs in your pocket. Yeah, one of the exercises we did in your in the innovation weekend that we spent together was that. So you threw objects at us and then we had to come up. And I found it challenging because never done it before. And it's like, yeah, but practicing that over and over again, it's going to get easier. But the, just the nuances of that. So if you look at an object, just pretend it's a phone and a, and a, a wallet, for example, if anyone carries those, I'll still get one. Um, you don't have to just look at the specific object. One of the key tips that you gave was, all right, the phone is shiny, it's got glass, so how do we use that and smash something together? Um, you've got a case on it, maybe some surroundings. So you can use all elements of it, not just the, yeah. it's a phone. Um, and well, you you mentioned a phone and a wallet. The phone yeah. now is your wallet, right? It's got yes. your cards on it, it's got mm -hmm. your boarding passes yeah. on it, it's got your mm -hmm. movie tickets on it. And yeah. so um, it's really interesting the more you look at mm -hmm. that lens. Mm -hmm. The thing about it, though, mm -hmm. is to give yourself permission to treat this as a fun exercise. Mm -hmm. It's not about, you don't have to come up with really serious inventions. Mm. It's just, and so a lot of people that I work with originally, they, they're so caught up with, oh, I'm not sure if that's going to be any good. Don't worry. It's not about that. It's a fun yeah. exercise. You are building, think of it as going to the gym. You're building mental muscle and being able to sort of connect the unconnected. Mm -hmm. It's just that process of you're combining things. So there was, I can't remember when this was, maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was this YouTube series I watched called Everything is a Remix. And it showed you how every idea is just an evolution of another idea, like you're saying, smashing things together. So that's, yeah, yeah. along the lines of that's what I have in my head. Right. It's, there's nothing very truly unique. Everything is evolved from something else, or that's why you get people who invent the same thing at the same time. Yeah, because yeah, there's multiple things. But there, yeah, having but that things. But you know, multiple it, domain knowledge to put things together even. Yeah, I, like Andrew mentioned, you know, what tips can I give people listening to this podcast to get outside the box? Mm -hmm. Just do that. Like... Um, just go right. I'm gonna if and if you can start if you can start to practice mixing dog food with an Echo, an Amazon Echo, or you know um, Netflix with a coffee machine, right? As a fun exercise, mm -hmm. you get you start to get better at then being able to go right. How might your business relate to an ice cream parlor? And you're like, mm -hmm. but my business is in software. And you're going, mm -hmm. okay, but you don't look at the ice cream parlor as an ice cream parlor. Once you start to do this, you start looking at multiple lenses. You're going. It provides satisfaction. It mm -hmm. provides happiness. It's um, a treat. Temperature yeah, dependent. Yeah. And you start yeah. to go, oh, if it's temperature dependent, what, what would it be? Could we build sensors in our software that goes to this? Is there a client that's temperature dependent that our software might? So you start to build these connections where they never existed and start to look for markets by connecting something that, in the end, you might not even use it, but it's a starting point to push you outside the box. So it's mm. looking at the value of the object, not the object itself. Well, Correct. that, that exercise I, I said before is don't tell me what you do, tell me the value crate. The more yeah. you do that, then instantly someone will say something to me about whatever, and I'll look at it at a literal lens and a lateral lens and a critical lens. So I've, I've, I can do it really quick because I practice this on a daily basis. But people will go, how did you see that about a coffee machine? And I go, oh, well, it's because blah, blah, blah. And they go, I get that, but I never would have saw that. And it's just the practice, it's the mental muscle of doing this. It just sounds weird when I tell people to start. It does sound weird, yeah. Really but, that, yeah. That's that makes serious. sense. There's but nothing serious there. That's great. How does that relate to my business? And I go, mm -hmm. you're building your muscle, and the more you build your muscle, you start to see things that other people can't, mm -hmm. and then you start to put things together in ways that other people can't, and that's the core fundamental of innovation. It's not sitting around going, oh, mm -hmm. let's come up with a cool idea for innovation. It's about looking for unmet needs. That's the whole purpose of innovation, unmet needs. Are the people that you see that can come up with ideas easier 
have they just been doing that subconsciously or is it like certain people just aren't, aren't that creative type to be the ideation kind of person, if that makes sense? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. so there's a big saying, and it freaks a lot of people out when they hear this, is that ideas are the enemy of innovation. Mm. Okay. It's so easy to have an idea. Oh, look, you know, I'll put like flamethrowers on the, my car to, to burn any anyone that's going to come and like, try and rob me. Okay. Well, yeah. but, but that exists in some well, countries. Yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, South Africa's got that. Yeah. <laughs> I believe they do. Right. Yeah. But the point is that anyone can come up with an idea and you can derail real innovation. So the point mm. is you've got to turn an idea into an opportunity. And that mm. means that when someone says, I've got an idea, I, you know what I need to say? Fantastic. I love your idea. It's amazing. Go away and come back and tell me who the opportunity is for, how much we're going to charge for it, how much it's going to cost to build, how long it's going to take to build, right, and how certain are you of success and what evidence do you have to actually back up any of those any of those value points because now you've got an opportunity. But you see, it's a lot harder to have an opportunity. It means you've got to do more work to validate uh, because when you are going down a pathway and following a framework around innovation, People start coming at you left and right. Oh, I like that. But if you just did this and if you just did that, I go, great, fantastic. Go away and bring that into validate that for me and bring it in. Here's what we're doing. And then they often just go, oh, look, yeah, whatever. Because they just like <laughs> yeah, ideas. Yeah. So um, there are good ideas and there's bad ideas. And what I try and do is um, put a it's – like, it's like someone – you know, you guys, I'm sure, have heard this from a, a tech perspective. You're building something mm-hmm. for a client. You've got a scope lockdown. You've got a version control on it. It's all lockdown version one. And the client sees something on TV and comes in and goes, oh, if we just did this now. What if we did this, yes. If we just had this button and then we should push that into the metaverse, it's simple. You, know, like, <laughs> you just go, oh, my God. That's an idea. It's not yeah. an opportunity. It's like, cool, yeah. go away. Tell me which metaverse, which the button, how we're going to connect this um, this JavaScript abstraction layer to a uh, to this to the metaverse. What what's the code? They go, oh, I don't know any of that stuff, and you go, well, neither do I. This is what mm. we're building. You know, <laughs> you want me to go and do some research? Probably cost another ten, fifteen grand. And we can come back and see whether that idea is any good. Oh no, don't worry about it. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah, it's easy. Look. Anthony's an ideas guy. He's really good at that. I just throw them out. Everywhere. I actually started then, asking that question. What's the unmet need, Anth? Um, yeah, I, I just throw them out to try and get other people. What's the need here? What's the value? So I started. I don't know if you noticed that. That's all from Finn. Because, you know, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, we can get carried away with ideas. It's easy. It's easy to jump in, especially when you're technically sound. and can start doing stuff and, and mucking around with things. It's easy to just go, oh, let's just try this. And then three months later, what have we done? Um, yeah, so that's something that I would suggest uh, people think about a little bit Especially more. Especially if, you know, like where I start when I'm working mm-hmm. with lots of clients on innovation mm-hmm. stuff or tech with innovation is that's, is yeah. actually not doing any work first. Yeah. What I do is build a blueprint. What's the North Star? What are we trying to achieve? Why? Yeah. What's mm-hmm. the unmet need? How do we know that what we're doing has an unmet need? Because otherwise we could just be building something for the sake of building it because it's cool. And that's fine as long as we've got money to burn. Yeah. Um, so if we got if we can figure out the unmet need, we can then figure out what our customer segmentation is. We can also figure out how much we might be able to charge for it, and we can also pretty pretty much build a a very rough straw man business plan on how successful this might be. Um, mm. And then it, it it helps you make an informed decision. And that's one of the, the biggest things I find with a lot of founders, especially in tech, is they're so excited about their idea they're running away with it, which is great. Yeah. But they're not building the blueprints of the house first. They're building the house, and there's no foundation on it. 
And then they get to this point where they've gone through family and friends' money. They're, you know, 100K down the tube and they still haven't built anything or they're building something and it's part built and they still don't. And it might be built for the wrong purpose, wrong angle as well. Well, they have built it and then they don't Mm -hmm. know. And then they're wondering why no one's. No one's yeah, well, excited about it. Well, half the problems that most people have is either they, they go into build and it's half built and it doesn't get anywhere, or they build something and then they try and build a business model around it. Yeah. Which is a, easy to do, though. Because, Very easy to do. Yeah. It's, I don't blame to, anyone because who, yeah. who's been taught that stuff? Not many mm-hmm. people. They've just, you yeah. know, um, mm-hmm. and, and you've got a lot of these people coming out of work trying to build a side hustle and they've, you know, they're very excited about it, but they need that mentorship. They need that yeah. guidance of people who have done it, you know? Yeah. A lot of it is probably what you see on the internet and the news and everything. Everything's an overnight success. Yeah. Mm. Like all of a sudden, this business is worth $100 million. Yeah. Okay. But how much, yeah. what have they done before they got to that point? Right. My favorite yeah. one with that is like Lionel Messi. Yeah. When he first signed for was a Barcelona, like he was 17, it's like an overnight success. Yeah. But he had 14 years of playing soccer before that to yeah. get to that point, And no one ever saw that. It's the longest overnight success in history. Yeah, correct. Yeah. There's plenty of those at 20 year cycles. Um, yeah, to give people a bit of context, what's some of the success stories you've had with smashing things together that you can share just to give people different levels of thinking? Oh, uh, lots of things. So I thought about the Nortel networks, obviously Linus, the video technology I built, um, mm-hmm. you know, raised in total about 40 million into that. That was in five countries where did trials with some of the biggest telcos in the world. That's the one that's on the ASX. I've got a new technology, which we're trialing with a major hospital in America, which you is using, this. Yeah, using sound frequencies uh, around patient recovery and healing uh, and pain, pain management. Um, and so I've been, I built that in 2016, put the patents together. My business partner, Ahmed Zappa, his dad was a famous muso and Frank Zappa in the seventies. We're sort of taking on this, this concept of, you know, music and sound frequencies are very un, unexplored. Um, uh, in Western society, they are unexplored. They are, yeah. But, but yeah. interestingly, you know, yeah. we're having conversations yeah. with lots of big labels now, like uh, I, uh, there's stuff I can't say, but there's That's lots okay. of stuff happening in terms of where music is headed. Um, so there's that. I've got a, I'm working on, we're close to getting it launched, an AI Lego app for kids, which allows kids to take a, they put their sets in. I've got this set, this set, this set, this set. Yep. They then take a photo of something or draw a picture of something. It recognizes the AI recognized does an object recognition. We then do a, uh, we've got a list of what's called mock libraries, which are existing uh, libraries of builds. Then we match them against the parts they have. And then we build them on the fly, a Lego, a Lego model based on their own sets on the photo they've drawn That's and awesome. it's a step-by-step instruction. So every single brick is its own CAD drawing, basically. It's um, yep. building it on the screen and they can move it around in 3D. So that's being launched. So you're uh, going to create the next Lego Masters killer. Well, <laughs> I've seen the opposite of that. Way. Yeah. When we talk about the value we create, remember yeah. before I said, what's the value? That's, mm. I just told you about what it does. But yeah. why I got involved in this, which I was passionate because it was start, started with someone who had the idea, mm-hmm. was that if I look at um, an architect, for example, mm-hmm. they go to school and they learn everything about all this architecture stuff. And then they finish school and they go, right, now be creative and come up with something really cool. And, yeah. they go, and they've been in a structured box for right? 20 years. Yeah. Whereas mm. whereas with AI and the way AI is going, right, why mm. not take the engineering component out of the equation and focus on the creativity component first? Mm. So kids often with Lego are building the models that they see on their box and then leaving mm. them alone. They never yeah. rebuild them. That's a big chunk of that. It's about 30%. Some kids mm-hmm. do break it up, but when they break it up, they get really stuck with knowing what to build, but they can draw something. So it's it's really interesting. So we're, this was about 
How do we create hybrid play, which is using digital and physical? How do we use renewable play, which is using the stuff they've already got without having yeah, to it's already there in the box? Yep. And how do we promote creativity and imagination, which is the things that, you know, I've built my whole career on, um, of being different, being creative. And that's why it's very hard to pigeonhole my job. Basically, I don't really have a job. I just do cool things, you know? <laughs> just do cool things. Help <laughs> people. Everyone wishes they could do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not everyone. There's an accountant somewhere that's um, enjoying crunching numbers. Yeah. yeah. True. <laughs> Everyone's different. And I think and there's a bit to that story too because talk, talk about some of the challenges that you had, if you're happy to share, about building a, a big, fast-moving business. Um, if you're happy to share that based on your background and the way you think, how was that journey for you? Because it obviously would have come quite... Okay, so there's some really interesting insights there. First off, I don't know if anyone can see this podcast or it's just... A yeah, it's visual. Video. So they'll, okay, so they'll, they'll see your hair, yes. <laughs> your rock star hair. There is a challenge right there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Look at this guy. Who's this guy think he is? Yeah. What does he know about coding? Yeah. Um, and... I learned early on that when you've got, when you're trying to do something big. So I was, I came up with this concept to change the way the global video market works with video. And without getting all the technicalities, video is seen as these video files. And you go to an edit suite like Final Cut Pro to cut them up. Yep. And it's basically a digital version of tape. But the video files themselves are only a database. They're two bit sets of numbers. It's a container, which is one series of numbers. And then this, the binary sample data, which is the stuff that sits inside it. So it's like a glass of water. So I just worked out a way to pull the file apart at its binary level and reorganize the binary samples to do on-the-fly editing. So I could edit a fly without going to an edit suite in one second. I could go down to a 60th of a second in resolution and pull out parts of the file in a progressive stream and then deliver that progressive stream on a byte range request from a player. So a player could say, I only want to see Messi's last 10 games where he only scores goals and it would go to a metadata server. The metadata server would have the actual byte range requests to, to simply time code and then stream just the bits inside it. So I built this complete on the fly production system, which never cut video, didn't need storage, didn't need transcoding, never lost a quality, greater security. And so I go out trying to raise money on that and they're looking at me and they go, what do you know about this? And I go, well, look, I, you know, I work for Apple. I know a lot about video. I'm, uh, I, and it, what I learned through that journey was when you've got a big moonshot idea, it's 90% about the storytelling. Mm. So people would say to me, some investors would say, and this is early on, right? So it's yep. probably, it's changed a lot now, but investors would say- But you were doing this how long ago? Did you do this? Uh, I, I did my first patents in 2007. Yeah, so, so it's very early yeah, to the stage. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so um, so what I would do, so I, I remember this one meeting where an investor said, um, oh, look, because no one understood what I was talking about. No one they had, wouldn't have. They wouldn't have any idea. I think most of the people on the podcast didn't understand that. <laughs> okay, cool. so, so they, but they would say to me, okay, um, so show me your business plan. And you know what I'd say? No. They go, what? You want me to invest money and you're going to show you your business plan? I go, yeah. And they go, why not? And I go, because you're just going to look at the end page and you're going to say, I'm spending too much money. <laughs> Which is all they care about, yeah. And, they go, yeah. and I go, yeah. I will show you that because I've got it all. Yeah. But you need to fully understand the addressable market, the problem I'm solving, whether you think I can solve this problem or not. Mm. And then I'll show you all that stuff. Because all that stuff without that context makes no sense. Mm. And they were like, this guy's really weird. 
And mm -hmm. some of them just walked away. But there was a couple of others that were like, this guy's a bit crazy, but maybe he's onto something. It's a big market. Anyway, mm -hmm. um, I found out that on my journey, I didn't look like everyone else. I didn't act like everyone else. There was no startup accelerators. There was no hubs. There was none of that stuff. And mm. so I just had this big idea and I found some people that were really wanted to be part of a journey that could be really life-changing and world-changing and they backed me. Mm. And that just snowballed over time. Once I started doing more trials and I proved it and I was with massive telcos in the US and I was proving this stuff and people were going, oh my God, you know, this is amazing. So, but I wasn't a coding expert. I wasn't. I didn't, I was a CEO of the company, but I wasn't really a CEO, I was a founder, uh, and I was just trying to solve a really big problem. So I faced lots of challenges, trust me. But I learned this, to just know my brand and just to stay in that crazy adventure space and surround myself with yeah. business people. Got it. Where did the, the seed of that idea come from? It came from many years ago, um, there was a thing called Flash, and there was a thing called QuickTime, and a thing called Real, Real Media and Windows Media Player. And flash files wouldn't play on an iPhone when the iPhone first came out. Yeah, I remember the whole challenge yeah, on the flash. Web, on the iPhone Any, too. Yeah, it didn't work. So my yeah, first challenge was it. to figure out yeah. how to get QuickTime. So my first thing that I did was I actually got QuickTime files from QuickTime site playing playing on 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 a Android phone, and I got um, flash files playing on an Apple device on the fly instantly straight from the website. People were like, "This is magic." <laughs> they thought I was like staging it, but what I was doing was. I would link to a flash file as the flash file came down. I would, I, what I learned was I, I learned that inside the file, mm -hmm. the binary, what's called the sound and picture information yeah. is the same. It was just the wrapper was different. Mm -hmm. So okay. I worked out to pull the wrapper Makes off, sense. just like a lolly, just like a, yeah. like a lint ball. So I pulled the wrapper off, I kept the ball the same and put the QuickTime wrapper on and it played because oh, wow. the MPEG in the middle was exactly the same. Mm. Okay. So I worked this out in 2007 and so I'm playing these files and all these people in the, we're going, this is unbelievable. And so, and that was where it came from, was yeah, trying, to, trying yep. to solve a problem that even the biggest companies in the world couldn't solve because yeah. they were looking at it as a flash file. Yeah, and then what do you do for flash file? We can't change it. We've got to get the flash file working in, the, yeah. in there. That's what they're thinking, right? You know, I, I, I still mm. remember, Andrew, I was in a meeting with a guy from the MPEG committee in Italy, Charangio, yeah. mm. the, the people that built MPEG format. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I still remember them saying to them, and I won't go into all the technical specifications of ISO-based media file files, yeah. all this sort of stuff. But what I said to them was, I know you understand it, but most people don't understand that there's no video in a video file. And he goes to me, and this is a guy from MPEG. He goes, what are you talking about? And I go, well, this, this, you know, you wrote the MPEG standard. There's no video in a video file. He goes, yes, there is. I go, no, there's not. He goes, yes, there is. I go, no, there's not. It's just a set of data that is a representation through an analog to digital converter that converts the analog to a digital byte and that bit or the byte, which is the combination of bits, represents the color space and how it's compressed to then tell the player how to decompress it. And he goes, yeah. And I go, but that's not video. That's data. Yeah, correct. And he goes, It's like saying there's a person in your TV. <laughs> and he goes, yeah. And I go, so the problem is the world yeah. is trying to treat video files as video when they should be treating them as a database. Mm. And he goes, oh. And I go, and I just had to work out a way to do that. But... Mm -hmm. But, it's a, uh, again, it went down to another need or a problem that you had, right? Yeah, but it and was it was I looked at it differently. So all these big people mm -hmm. who were the experts were still yeah. looking at digital video as digital video, and I bothered yeah. to go, what's inside that video? And everyone's going, it's just video. But I wasn't happy with that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, when the video is it's a series of frames representation of data. So yeah, you just 
try and understand what it actually is. Yeah, at a low level, and, that's and what it is. It's all no data, ones and zeros. At the time, <laughs> even now, there is no software you can buy right now that will pull open a video file. You can't, even now, 2023, but mm. I built it. <laughs> and and yeah, because I built it, I could see inside yeah. the file that no one else could see because they were all looking at it differently. <laughs> yeah, everyone just uses your standard video editing or recording yeah. tools. And, and it's not that I'm photos. smart. I'm not smart. I'm not a genius. None of that. It's just that I bothered to be curious and not take for granted what everyone told me. I just wanted to prove it to myself. I wanted to validate it. Is that part of you wanting to understand how it works? Yeah. So then you can do something with it? Yeah. And it's, nine it's, times I, out of ten, I share that with you. I think. Yeah, he, I think you do. Yes. Nine times out of ten, the things that I'm being told are correct. It's the one time out of ten that I find something as birth the company that floated on the ASX. So just from that one in one one insight. Mm. That's all you need, really. That's one insight that solves a problem that someone else has hasn't done yet. Yeah. Yeah. Are you going to be willing to look though? It's that curiosity. I think that's number one, right? That question. You're not, yeah. If you're not looking and questioning, then uh, you're just accepting the status quo. And then, like you said, you go back to you're just working in the rules that exist. And that's so, where, when I say connect a toy company with with a Tibetan bowl company, people go, "That's crazy." And I go, "It's that's the whole point. The mm. whole point is being crazy because you do, it doesn't make sense. But but the practice of doing it." allows you over time to see things that no one else can see. I think the key thing you said there is the practice. It's not about the outcome. Yeah. And that's one of the things you framed when you're talking about everything that you do. Um, it's a practice. It's nothing to do with the outcome at all. And it's sometimes we get really stuck in that. But think of it from a practice perspective rather than an outcome and you'll get more enjoyment out of it rather than trying to get it right. Um, that can be the challenge when you're putting things together. Is that right? Oh, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. the challenge. Like, did anyone else come up with a smart dog bowl that talks to you when you mentioned dog food and an Alexa Echo yeah. <laughs> earlier? But the point is people know, will instantly know when I say, right, um, do you think you could jump on a soccer pitch and play as good as Messi like right now? And they go, no. no. And I go, do you think you'll be as good as coming up with validated opportunities and ideas for innovation just by sitting down and going, I'm going to think about it? No, it takes practice, yeah. Yeah. right? And the more ridiculous that, mm -hmm. that you try and stretch your brain, the better you get because you're doing something really hard. Mm. Fascinating. And we can talk for hours, <laughs> I think. It just pick your brain, but we might end it there and get you back on another time to just maybe talk a bit more strategy. But Finn, thanks for joining us on the Dev Ready Podcast. I'm sure someone's going to get a lot of value from that. I did. It was an hour of uh, good enjoyment for me, just having a bit of fun asking you questions because I just, yeah, your enthusiasm and passion is, yeah, out of this world. You don't find many like you. So, yeah, thanks for coming on Dev Ready Podcast and really appreciate you sharing your time. Thank you. It's been really good. Yeah, really good fun. All right, Cheers, guys. Mate. Thanks so much.